Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Well, yeah, nice to see you all. I was not here last week, and I was back on the East Coast. I did some training and preached at uh, Abe Pfeiffer's church in Maryland. Here is Abe and I. On the, we had one day off, and we drove up to New York City together. So here's us at Times Square. Um, there's Abe. Yeah, those of you who were around when Abe was the pastor, fantastic leader. Um, that was a lot of fun. You know, we had this a bit of time to, this time off, and I, I saw there's a game playing at Madison Square Garden. And so I said, Abe, you know, you want to go to New York City? It's like a four-hour drive. He said, sure, you drive. <laughs> so I was like... I could do this. I was raised in Cresswell, Oregon, man. I got New York. (laughs) And so we drove the four hours on that Saturday, and we came into New York City, and we came through the Lincoln Tunnel, and Abe is navigating. He's like, okay, you got to turn right. And I was like, okay, I'm turning right. And then I'm going, and we're going up this thing. And one of Abe's boys in the back, Marcus, who's 16 now, said, I think you're in the bus lane. And sure enough, we're going up and up and around this thing, and we emerge into this massive bus exchange, like depot, you know? <laughs> we're in my little rental car, just me, me, you know? And uh, oh man, so we got through that. Well, they don't have signs for, you know, schmucks like me in there. So they don't even know how to get out. We're just like, ah, it's all these signs in code for bus drivers. Finally, this bus driver's like, you know, pointing and yelling. and. We find our way out, and you know, Taylor Swift's song was playing in the background, Welcome to New York. That's what that, yeah. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. Actually, we did have that song playing. It was, it was a request of one of the teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I was like, great, I'm in New York, and they're going to kick me out first time. That's how uh, that's going to work, and yeah. Well, well, we did go see the game at Madison Square Garden. Um, it was a college basketball game. Here we are in the garden. I mean, this kind of epic um, arena. And I'm, I'm there, and Abe is there, and then his sons, Marcus and Logan, are there. And at halftime, I pull out my phone, and on my phone, I have a video of me in high school winning a high school basketball game with a four-point play. It's kind of like my, my moment, my claim to fame. And so I pull it out and I show, I said, Marcus Logan, you guys got to see this. And so I show it to them and they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. And I said, now you guys can forever say that at Madison Square Garden, you saw Isaac Hovitt win a basketball game with a four-point play. And they wouldn't be lying a bit. Yeah. And so I made sure they had it all down pat. You know, my reputation is very important to me, apparently. Well, anyway, (laughs) apparently. Well, uh, it was a wonderful weekend and uh, did a training for their staff. If you get a chance to go back and see Abe and what he's doing in Maryland, it's just tremendous. When they left here, they took over a church that was about 50 people and was also a K through 12 Um, Christian school that needed a lot of good leadership. Good thing Abe is a good leader. That place is doing fantastic. I got to train the staff on on some areas that I have expertise in and then preach at their two services now. There's almost 400 people coming a weekend to their church. It's just amazing what God is doing. So for some of you, it's painful to send 
Abe and Stacy, but look what God is doing. This is how the kingdom works and is built. Well, I was on my way home last Sunday night after preaching at both services and all the traveling, and, um, and I was tired. I was looking forward to just, you know, kind of disappear. People. I love people, but I was feeling peopled out. And so my plan was, as I was approaching the gate to get on to the plane, a six-hour trip from the East Coast to the West Coast, I have these nice headphones that that make me go into my own world. And also, when you put on headphones like this, everybody knows, don't talk to me. (laughs) And so I'm at the gate. I'm about ready to board. I'm about ready to go in. I got my headphones on, and I feel like the Lord says, hey, headphones, man. I was like, I can't hear you. I have these headphones on. (laughs) And he's like, no, are you willing to see what I'm about on this plane ride? I was like, man, I forgot the noise canceling thing. I mean, she, I said, okay. (laughs) It's about like that too. And so I took my headphones off. We were noting earlier that maybe this is a good way to preach. Because I don't care what you say now. I can't hear you. <laughs> Took my headphones off and proceeded to my seat, 6F, on the window. And I sat in my seat. And then the 16-year-old girl sits in seat E next to me. And I strive a conversation with her. And she's a gymnast. She's back east to look at some potential colleges. It's gone well. She thinks she's found it. I said, oh, that is great. And then her dad comes and sits on the aisle seat. And so I'm meeting him, and we're having this pleasant conversation going back and forth. And now we're taxiing down the runway. And then the question comes up, so what do you do, he asks me. And, you know, sometimes being a pastor, I want to say something else, like, I meet with people. (laughs) I talk at people. (laughs) I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, good. She's an atheist, pointing at his daughter. (laughs) It's exactly, I mean, exuberantly. He was very excited for this. Oh, and he goes, you got your work cut out for you. (laughs) And, And so, you know, now we're lifting off. And he says, tell him what you think to his daughter. And so she proceeds to kind of, you know, share with me her, you know, musings about faith and whether God exists or not. And I said, oh, "Oh, very interesting. And now we're lifting off. And as we're lifting off, we are at an angle as we head to the north where we can see the sun setting in the west coming through the other side of the plane. It's just like gold and red, glorious. And I said, one of the questions that we have to ask at some point is, how did everything get to be so beautiful? I mean, look at this. You don't have to convince anybody it's beautiful. It just is. Which brings me to my second question. How do you even know what beauty is? You, you don't have to teach somebody this is what beautiful is. And then, no, we're just in awe, naturally. Where does that come from? And she said, oh, interesting. And her dad was like leaning across. He was, yeah, he's good. You got to listen to him. <laughs> She nodded and, you know, was appreciative, but dad was enthused. Yeah. She was less enthused as the conversation continued across her. It became apparent that he was seeking 
And he wanted his daughter to seek too. So for, as we progressed across the United States, he threw out these big questions and I responded as best as I could. And there were a couple of times like, Holy Spirit, this must be you because I am answering way smarter than I am. (laughs) I just said things, man. (laughs) He was engaged and open and I was honestly able to field some pretty challenging questions. About two hours in, his daughter said, (laughs) Dad, do you want to switch seats with me? That's what she said. (laughs) He's like, no, you need to hear this too, is what he said. Wow, God, you really... We're up to something. He wanted to say something. He said he's open to Christianity. He has Christian friends. But he brought up an interesting point. He said that his, he has watched Christians change their mind about some important topics, sexuality in particular. He said this to me as a non-Christian, as someone who is seeking. If Christianity is the truth, then wouldn't the truth of it remain even if culture changes? How profound. And what an insight from somebody who is seeking. He wanted to say that he would be open to Christianity if he could see consistency across belief and faith. That was fascinating. He said that would go a long ways towards helping me. An interesting critique from a seeker. As a Christian loses sense a certainty about who God is or even about how to know who God is, um, we become less believable. If he could observe this consistency among Christians, his faith might be affirmed. This year, our theme is apprenticing to the presence of Jesus. And in following Jesus, we have great challenges In part, we have great challenges because of the culture that we are living and breathing in and thinking in. Our culture really frames how we consider and respond to reality. We call it the water that we're swimming in. And if you've been here um, with us for a while, you know that we often talk about the cultural challenges that we have around faith because our culture is not setting us up well, and we need to understand that so that we can approach faith and get to a better faith, a biblical faith, a robust, real faith. These models of thinking within our culture are really good for us to understand. Hmm. This morning, we're going to address one of them, and it's the simple dynamic in our culture. We come to believe that we make our own way, that we have the rational ability to be able to make sense of what is true. And in the end, because of our cultural outlook, because of this way of thinking, we end up putting ourselves at the, as the arbitrator, as the one who says what is true and what isn't true. But in reality, it's God who is initiating with us first, and we respond to him. So, I think I have this on a slide. Essentially, we live in a culture that elevates our intellectual faculties above God's revelation. We trust our intellect above God's revelation. So I'll explain and we'll make sense of this. Uh, Chris Bowlby, there you are. (laughs) I like to point at people. (laughs) 
He was at a national conference for Alpha. Alpha is a program that we run here. Many of you are part. Who's in Alpha right now? Who's been a part of Alpha? Yeah, a lot of people in Alpha. Alpha is a process designed for people to experience the Christian faith. Some of those people are are new to faith or outside of faith, and Alpha is a great process for them to learn more about it. It's also good for people of faith to go through because you learn how to talk in friendly ways with people who don't think like you do. So he was at a conference that is helping us to grow forward uh, with Alpha. Hope was there too. Yeah, Hope was there. Yeah. And Aaron, I saw Aaron. Yeah, you were there too. Yeah, thank you. Some of our leaders that we're investing in as we continue to grow Alpha forward. He read my manuscript and he mentioned a a stat that was um, presented at the Alpha conference. The, The statement is this, and it was kind of like agree or disagree. This is the statement given on this broad survey. Whatever is right for your life or what works best for you is the only truth you can know. So given in a survey to our culture. And here's the responses. You might find them interesting. 74% of millennials agreed with that statement. That statement which essentially says, truth is held within my experience and what pragmatically or practically works out for me. That's what truth is. 74% of millennials say, I agree with that. Now, this is not an anti-millennial little quote, because look at this. 41% of professing Christians agreed with this. Basically saying that truth is on my terms. That's what truth is. And so truth has to resonate with what I think can be true in order for it to be true. That is not the way that God comes to us. But that's evidence of the cultural stew that we are being steeped in. I don't know if you can say stew and steeped and marinated. Stew, steeped, and marinated, all in the same one. All the words. (laughs) Yeah, that's indicative of our challenge. So this is how I think. I I decided to draw for you guys to to help us. This is how this works out. (sighs) Okay. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. No, I'm just kidding. I just, that's, that's been done. Okay. <laughs> so we are very rationalized in the last 500 years. We live on the heels of modernity, which is very rationalistic, logic, scientific method. And the implicit thought is that an individual can know ultimately what is true by themselves. And this is the way it kind of works in our culture. We have input, whatever that is, stimulus. It comes down, it rings around our brain, and we decide what is true. That's pretty much the way that people consider their um, encounter with the truth. Yeah, we are at the top of the truth food chain in this case. We ultimately decide. And so God becomes something that we accept on my terms or reject on my terms. But God has a different way through revelation. By the way, when we get stuck in our framework, don't worry, there's help. Here it is, there's your help. Yeah, you have Google and you have my experience. And again, this is my rationale, my logical way of thinking, how I sort through things. And then, you know, what my experiences are. And then ultimately, well, if I need help, Google will help me. Or as somebody said in the first service, Siri. Siri could also help you. Or Alexa. Or what are the other ones? I don't even know. 
Hey, Google, yeah. So this is the way that we kind of implicitly, which means without our awareness, how we are considering as we approach God. Chris pointed out some things as we were interfacing about this. How well has this worked out? Hmm. Well, a couple of things. We aren't as bright as we think we are. It's only recently, recent, relative to history, that we know that the world is not flat, that the earth is round. That's only recent history. 150 years ago, which is not that long ago, if you were really sick, you'd go to a doctor and they would say, all right, time to empty some of your blood from your body and let it pool in here, and maybe you'll get better by letting the blood drain out of your body, which is not what we would advise now. That was just 150 years ago. Yeah. Listen to this. Just 100 years ago, 1919, new at the time, understanding of genetics, led to and were very much a part of horrific racial violence. This new science, genetics, there's probably a superior race. Well, as Nazi Germany got a hold of that, and they executed one of the worst, if not the worst, atrocities in human history because we thought we really knew something. Can you see how our ability to be rational is very limited? Something recent. We thought we had the measles beat. We're back! <laughs> Sorry, for some of you, that's... That's a tough conversation. We won't go there. That's not, the, that's not the, what this conversation is about. Right, Lainey? Right. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> At every age, man has thought pretty highly of himself. That's the nature of the fall we see at the beginning of God's perfect creation. It was pride that led to the fall. Rationalistic ways of thinking is a part of that pride. But in the last 500 years of rationalism, more than just thinking we kind of know better than God, we've like, we've affirmed that in every way. We think that we're a pretty big deal. We justify our brilliance and our rejection of God. But the Christian learns and knows that we don't know. And so we must come to accept. This is the way it looks like in the Christian conception. There is truth which is much bigger than us. That truth is ultimately held within God. And this is received via revelation. God speaking what is true. God showing what is ultimately true. Not man discovering or affirming or constructing or concocting what is true, but what is true is true because God has revealed it. And that's a very different conception of the world. And part of our Christian discipleship in the culture that we are born into is to come to terms with this, that God is a God of revelation. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with my kids, and we're talking about faith, which is hard. Faith, like stepping, stepping out into the unknown. They said, why didn't God make it easier? And I said, I don't know. I'm not God. When we see it on terms like that, that God is God, and we are not, and he has done things according to his will and way, 
that he is under no obligation to help us to know why or why not he does. It changes our conception and we can be more easily like children who receive this gift, receive who he is. So for the Christian, there's basically three ways that we receive revelation. If you're taking notes, first of all, Jesus Christ reveals God. Jesus has said to his disciples in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. Thomas is is like, I don't know the way. Jesus says, well, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then Philip says, well, are you going to reveal the Father to us? That's what he says. And then Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? (laughs) Sometimes Jesus gets a little persnickety. You like that word? Yeah, that's a good one. And yet you still don't know who I am. Believe, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, is what Jesus says. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Jesus Christ reveals who God is. James Gerber, our new worship arts pastor, in between the services, he says, Isaac. Jesus Christ also reveals to us how a human should be and also reveals to us how a human interacts with God. And his life before God and his obedience before God, Jesus Christ reveals what it is to be human and reveals what it is to walk as a human before the living God. Jesus Christ reveals God. Secondly, Scripture reveals God. Who he is? This is what 2 Timothy is referring to directly in chapter 3. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, scriptures, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So we look at Jesus Christ to know what is true. He's the firstborn of all creation. He was present at the formation of the world. He himself says that he is the picture of God. If we not to know what God is like and what it's like to interact with God, we look no further than Jesus Christ. But then scripture, God's gift to us reveals, it is his revelation, his gift to us. And scripture leads us and corrects us and subverts the evil temptations that we have in our lives and in this world. Scripture has to be foremost and primary. And then lastly, creation reveals God. As I was interfacing with that girl in the middle seat and I just looked out the window, God is testifying to his goodness through his creation. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter one. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. Think about driving to the foothills of the Cascades right now or driving over the foothills towards the Oregon coast, coming to the Oregon coast and seeing the epic wonder and beauty of the Pacific Ocean. We can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God, is what Paul says. Creation, the order, the seasons, the rhythms, the majesty, the harmony, all testify to God. And subvert man's greatness. 
I was in Washington, D.C., and I was in New York City, and these things are impressive. Look what man has done. But then you just lift off a few hundred feet off the ground, and you see the immensity of God's creation spanning out from the north, the east, the south, and the west. God is way bigger and better than anything we could ever conceive of. But that's hard for us to wrestle with because of our over-rationalized mind. We need revelation. And so we seek his revelation to know it through Jesus Christ, through his word, through his creation to understand. Well, we'll see in Exodus as we continue our series here, Moses wrestling with some of the same things. God has revealed. God is initiating with Moses. And it's hard because it's beyond Moses' comprehension. We're going to see Moses arguing with God. (laughs) It's like, okay, you go first, Moses. You argue with God. But very much we are on display there because we have the same experience. God, I will do what you want if I agree with it. If I can see it. If it makes sense to my mind. But God calls us to something bigger. So as we come to chapter 4 of Exodus, the oppression that is happening in Egypt against the Hebrew people has got God's attention. At the end of chapter 2, he says, all right, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to initiate. I'm going to reveal myself. I'm going to interrupt this. And so God does what God does. He initiates and he does this, which is our habit, which or should be our habit as well. We respond to God's initiation. First John 4, 19, it's not on the screen, says, we love because he he first loved us. We respond because he has come all this way for us. So it's responsive to what he is initiated. We're going to discover in this conversation, um, we're going to see ourselves, I think, just in this story, arguing and not being able to see. And then we'll see God's responses. I won't be able to make sense of all of this conversation for you because that would be to rationalize it. That would be to say, well, let me explain it all to you so that we can put it all in our minds and therefore we know ultimately what is true. There's some of the stuff that's in this story that just won't make sense to us, which is really good because then it draws us to a place of trust and trust will always feel vulnerable. Rock and roll. I was getting fired up. It's like Pharaoh was going to come on the scene and he had a soundtrack. <laughs> All these things my kids are tired of me doing, I get to do in front of you every once in a while. And I just, okay, Dad. Okay, okay. Exodus 4, see yourselves here. Oh, by the way, God has just promised Moses, you're going to be successful. I, he's asking Moses to lead these people away from Egypt and to confront Pharaoh, which is a huge task. And God says, you'll be successful. And Moses is arguing with God. Okay, so that's where we come to at the beginning of Exodus 4. Here we go. But Moses <laughs> protested again. I don't know if you thought about this, God, but what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if, they say, what if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what's in your hand? You know everything, right? Can't you see my hand? 
A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake, and Moses jumped back. Some translations say, like a little girl. That's, no, I'm just kidding. That was... <laughs> Others say, like Chris Bowlby. That's what, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Indiana Jones, yes, yeah, snakes. Ah. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Don't try this at home. But <laughs> Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. God is initiating. He said, Moses, go do this. And now he's making promises. Here's my power. It's on display. And as you do this, people will follow and they will believe. God is initiating and inviting Moses to respond. It's the same story that we have. He goes on. Then the Lord says to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. I don't like that one. (laughs) (laughs) Now put your hand back in your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in. And when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. God is initiating saying, here's my power, now go. But Moses, he's like us, he's dull, he's fearful. He can't comprehend all of this. So then the Lord says to Moses, verse 8, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. God again saying, I will be with you. He says this to Moses all through his journey. I will be with you. You have to step. You won't be able to see it unless you step. I will be with you. I'm for you. This is not your plan because you are not God, Moses. This is my plan, and I am God. In the previous chapter, he just said, I am that I am. He exists beyond even what existence is. I am that I am, and this is who you can trust. And Moses is struggling to trust, and we totally relate. Moses. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. I don't know if you thought of this, God. I'm not very good with the words. I never have been. And I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. He's struggling. And I don't know if you thought of this, God. Then the Lord asked Moses, and I love this. This is just... He says, who makes a person's mouth? Did you, he's implying. 
Who decides whether people speak or not, hear or don't, see or cannot? Is it not I, the Lord? I'm starting a long pause. Is it not I? This is who is calling you. This did not come from your rational brain, your ability to conceive. It came from me, and I'm inviting this to you, inviting you to this. So then he says, now go, go, go. <laughs> and I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. I will affirm my presence with you through these miraculous signs that you have seen. I will affirm them even beyond what you can see right now because I am saying that I will. But I can't. I can't even speak. Did you even construct yourself? Did you even cause for yourself to be born? No. It is I. So go. <laughs> but Moses again pleaded. When I train people in emotional social intelligence, we train people in being assertive. <laughs> Exhibit number one, Moses, again, standing his ground and saying, God, I have more to say. Again, he pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. God took a deep breath. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> All right, he said in measured tones. What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as, I, as you speak, and I will instruct both of you in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. It's interesting here. God accommodates Moses a bit. He says, all right. You have feeble faith. You have small faith. And I'm going to meet you where you're at. God says the same thing to you this morning. You have small and feeble faith. I'm going to meet you where you're at, but you're still called to go. You don't get to get out of that. You don't get to get out of saying yes to the next step of discipleship. But he's, he's gracious and he's kind. The big story of Exodus is God's faithfulness, not Moses's. Not the children of Israel. That's the big story of scripture, actually. God, who initiated this all, is the one who is faithful. He's the one that has the big plan all in place. That is the big story that we get to lean into. But I wonder, I wonder what the story would have been like if Moses would have not demanded that Aaron get to go with him. Down the road, we will see that it was Moses on the mountain receiving from God while Moses can't control the people and lead them and they erect the golden calf and a lot of chaos happens. I wonder if the story would be different if Moses would have just trusted that he is following the great I am. And the great I am said, I am with you. The great I am says, I will prove to you. The great I am says, I am the story, not you, Moses. Trust me. I wonder how the story would be different. We don't know that for certain. We do know that God is gracious, but we do understand he's calling us to something deeper. As we apprentice to the presence of Jesus this year, 
We are going to be challenged in our conception of being able to understand everything that God is up to. We'll be challenged not to rationalize it all or to have God prove himself to us. We'll be challenged to step out in faith into the unknown. And future generations will be blessed because we say yes. We say yes. Hmm. Very challenging. Well, I have a few thoughts of application uh, for us. First is this. Just as God gave signs to Moses and then Moses and Aaron so that they would know of his immense presence in their lives, he is sending us as signifiers of his presence to the world. I invite you this morning, this week, invite the Holy Spirit to fill you so you shine bright for him. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he said about himself, And later he says, you are the light of the world. He says, no one holds a light under a a basket, but rather they let their light shine. We need the Holy Spirit and his presence to cause for us to shine so that we can be a signal to the world that the living God is very much alive and he has hope for them. The Holy Spirit will lead us to it. The second point of application This is not particularly in the story, but I think this is one of those signals that we show the world how different we are by our forgiveness. As God in Christ has forgiven us, our forgiveness of others makes his name known. Who do you need to forgive today? Jesus was asked, how often should I forgive? Seven times? (laughs) And Jesus says, how about 70 times seven? Which is 490 which is really a hyperbolic statement, meaning you keep on forgiving. There's no end. Christ forgave you in the middle of your brokenness and your sin and your shame. And so we should forgive easily others. That's the life of a Christ follower. And then the third. There it comes. There it is. Each of us has our own Egypt. The anxiety of life. The challenge of life. We, we've bought into lies. We don't live according to God in his way. Those things create brokenness. He's calling us out of that. And Jesus Christ is your provision, our provision for the journey. We are to consume of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If anyone is hungry, come to me and he will be filled. Jesus says that he he gives living water and sustenance. We are to consume of Jesus so that we have power for this journey. To eat of Jesus has to be our primary consumption within life. Today, we have an opportunity to receive communion to be reminded of his abiding presence, his faithful presence for our sojourn together through the Egypts of our life, out of the Egypts of our life. It is consuming of Jesus. I'd like to share with you the rest of the story on the plane. As our plane reached the western half of the United States, our conversation became less bantering back and forth and a bit more thoughtful. My new friend, he asked me about suffering. And he was very concerned that he has heard Christians 
explain away suffering as just a part of God's plan. It wasn't satisfactory to him. And I can understand why. For if suffering is only a means to the end of God's plan, the nature of suffering itself isn't explained or solved. So I had to think for a little bit. And he was patient. And this is what I replied. I said, the Christian God is amazing in that there's no denial of suffering within Christianity. Many faiths in the East, religious systems, deny suffering or say it's something we just have to learn to deal with. But there's, in the Christian story, suffering is not ignored or overlooked. And then I said, our suffering caused for God to respond with a plan. That plan included he himself in the form of Jesus the Son coming into our suffering and pain and then to take on suffering and pain on the cross as a means to healing the whole world. He doesn't stand as an outsider to our pain, but he walks with us through our pain. Jesus said that he would never leave or forsake us or abandon us, that he would be with us. I reference in Hebrews where it says, this great high priest of ours knows temptation and knows trial. And what a friend we have. And he thought. He said, is that in scripture? You know, I had referenced some. He goes, write those down. And so I'm looking for something and cross his daughter. He gives me a napkin. He says, anything important is written on a napkin. (laughs) And so I wrote out some scriptures and then some prompts for him to think. And I gave it back to him and he looked at those and he thought and he considered. A little while later, he, he said to me, he said, you must wonder why I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I said, well, you have some great questions. And he goes, I want to thank you so much for the conversation today. I am almost in. He said, Foursquare Church. That's what kind of church we are. I said, yeah, Foursquare Church. And he goes, okay. There was one in the city that he was from. He's going to find that Foursquare Church. And my prayer was, God, please help those pastors not to screw it up. That was, that was, that was the honest prayers of a pastor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, this isn't about my brilliant thought. This isn't about his brilliant thought. It's about somewhere over the United States, God, by his revelation, coming into the midst of a family that needed to know living God is there for them. Even in suffering, he identifies with them. So he needed to know that. This is a story about me just being willing to take off my headphones, to be willing to open up my ears to what God might be doing. This is the same story that you get to live this week. God has something arranged for you as you are on the path of your own discipleship. He's gonna lead you to a place where you can be the light of the world. And the light that you are isn't that it's totally understandable by you. It's that you are the embodiment of Jesus Christ. The spirit of God lives and dwells within you and you carry that everywhere that you go. And he simply says, follow me when it doesn't make sense and when it's not easy and when it's beyond you, if it's beyond you, it's probably me because I am beyond you is what he says.
Yeah. Well, this morning we're going to receive of communion, which is the ultimate picture of God's wisdom above the wisdom of the world. We wouldn't have thought to use a Roman instrument of execution, the cross, to bring about salvation and glory to God. It's his idea though, and it's beautiful. An image we can't get out of our minds because in it we see the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so as we receive of communion, we're receiving of his body again. We're ingesting that into our very being. And as it's ingested into us, it's another seed that gets planted to where we can understand the truth of Jesus Christ that brings fruit in our lives as we ingest. And then as we drink of the cup, we are being reminded that outside of any doing of our own, we are forgiven because the blood of Jesus covers all sin, all iniquity, and all unrighteousness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is certainly your story. This is certainly your deal. This is far beyond any of our ability to rationalize, and yet we see the fruit of it. We see the fruit of you coming into our lives. We see the fruit throughout history as Christ followers have brought so much goodness to the world as they have followed you. Would you help us to be people that are not just rational thinking things, but rather that we are spirit-led, spirit-filled, soul-affirmed people that are living the life that you called for us to live. Jesus, would you show us how to interact with the Father? Would you show us how to interact with God? Would you show us the rhythms? As we apprentice to your presence this year, I pray that you would take us deeper and further than we've ever gone before. We're saying yes to your call. Help us to be unlike Moses in this case and to stop complaining, stop arguing with you and simply to say, yes, I will go. Pray these things in Jesus' name.